Hello everyone, and welcome to the fifth episode of The Ethics of Research. Today, we will discuss research ethics that some of you might already have encountered while moving your research online, especially during the pandemic. My guest today is Kristen Chenke, who is a PhD in Global Governance candidate at the Balsili School of International Affairs through Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo. She is a fellow with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Kristen was a 2020 Woman in Defense and Security Fellowship recipient and a Woman in International Security Canada Emerging Thought Leader in Digital Security. Kristen's research focuses on cyber governance as the intersection between global governance and cybersecurity and specifically on the management of emerging technology and innovation in Canada. Upon completing the bulk of her data collection during the pandemic, Kristen reflects on the ontological, epistemological, and methodological questions brought on by the major disruptive global event in this podcast discussion. I hope you'll enjoy it. Thank you so much, Kristen, for taking the time. I know you're very busy, but welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So very first question for our listeners uh, who might not know, what is the topic of your PhD dissertation and how did you get interested in this? So the topic of my, my research and my, my PhD dissertation is, is very broadly what I call cyber governance. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at it from the intersection of uh, global governance research and kind of global governance perspective mm-hmm. on cybersecurity and cybersecurity issues. And so what that kind of looks like is trying to understand how um, certain uh, emerging technologies and our understanding of innovation is managed uh, specifically within, in, within a Canadian context. Um, and this kind of interest in uh, understandings of technology, uh, technologies, you know, how they work themselves, and the, the actors, the users, the non-users that use them, sort of comes from, first of all, my, my school is located in Waterloo. So yeah. there's definitely a very high tech environment there that I'm, that I'm very interested in. Um, and as someone who is a social scientist, you know, I'm trying to understand uh, not only how people in, who are in a tech field understand these technologies and their uses, but how you know, policymakers and um, you know, people in the social sciences are trying to also grasp these sort of issues. So that, that kind of came from that moment thinking, um, you know, what are these technologies? How are we using them? And why is there a disconnect between, you know, people who are making them and mm-hmm. um, the kind of policy perspective on them? So I, I also grapple with those issues too. And so yeah. it's kind of this ongoing, excellent project for me. Yeah. And it, I, w- I must say it's really timely too. Um, and I imagine depending on what career path interests you, but I imagine people outside academia, particularly in the government, must be really, really interested in your research. Oh, they love well, it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's a very um, interesting topic, I think, to, you know, people from, from diverse uh, disciplinary backgrounds, too, yeah. um, because, you know, you can approach these questions from from a whole diverse range of obviously kind of a technical background, but then a whole range of you know social social uh, kind of perspectives on it. You know, from from sociology, you know, anthropological approach. Um, in, in my case, it's a it's an IR global governance approach. Um, so it, it kind of has something for everyone. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's like I said, a, a constant learning experience too. So, what kind of methods? are you fond of yourself? And also what kind of methods are you using for your dissertation? Are you more a qualitative person? Are you more a quant person? Do you enjoy mixed methods? 
So I believe in mixed methods. Okay. Um, but for my for my thesis dissertation, the the methods that I set about to use originally yeah. um, was was going to be a policy analysis, and then I was going to do in person uh, semi structured interviews. Yeah. Um, and those interviews were going to be with um, decision makers, policy makers in Canada from a variety of backgrounds. So from um, academia, from uh, private sector and from the government as well. And so my preference was to do the, the qualitative methods, the, the in-person interviews, because as a social person, I like you know, interacting with people. I like you know, learning things from, from people and, and hearing their perspectives. So, so that was, was something that I was um, very much for and I, I very much like, but um, uh, the pandemic uh, made that a little bit different for me in practice. Yeah. So let's get into that really quickly then. So tell us what was um, your original plan? You have talked about it a little bit. So, but when you were thinking about field research, what was your field going to be like originally and then how it changed due to the pandemic? So originally, I was going to do my in-person semi-structured interviews, uh, you know, at my school in in a conference room, in a boardroom, uh, or I was you know, planning to travel to to you know various cities and and kind of have some of those um, those conversations, uh, you know, in person. Um, the pandemic obviously changed that, and this was. Pretty, pretty early in my sort of research journey when I could actually you know, start thinking about my research, start you know, putting together my proposal and, and thinking through the methods that I wanted to use, I had definitely envisioned uh, that in-person experience. Uh, with the pandemic, like I said, that obviously changed. And there was a few months at the beginning of the pandemic where I don't think anyone really knew what was, what was in store, what was going on, what research would look like, what research we could actually end up doing, and if and if people who wanted to do the the in person component or needed to travel to do their re research, if we should just wait it out for for a semester or two and then kind of get back to normal, or uh, if we should make drastic changes and drastic revisions on the type of work that we wanted to do. But I think in in my case, the the pivot was a bit easier than. Than I think uh, some other people and some other of my colleagues experienced. So just, you know, instead of doing the, the in-person interviews, I just took it online. And that also, uh, you know, had to go through the, the ethics review board and the ethics uh, clearance process as well. And uh, so that took, took a while uh, to, to go through and uh, to finish the paperwork and have that paperwork approved, even though these, these in-person or these, these, interviews that were going to be in person and then were taken on online, um, you know, I thought that that would go through uh, pretty easily and pretty quickly, but there, there, were, there were things to think about in that process. And so what I, what I ended up doing after I had received clearance was, you know, having, having a Zoom call like, uh, you know, like we're all used to or having an, an MS Teams uh, call like we've been used to for the past, uh, the past two years and, and ongoing. Uh, so my my research was conducted on on MS Teams um, and and on Zoom in in Zoom rooms and uh, uh, in in Zoom waiting rooms and that sort of thing and so that experience for me I think it it was a little bit hard at the beginning um, because I don't think anyone really liked <laughs> talking <laughs> on uh, I don't think anybody liked having another Zoom call um, or anybody liked really doing those things so. 
that transition was was a little bit difficult but when you're faced with okay you either do it this way or you completely pivot to something else you know that's what you have to do and I think at some point we also got used to this being the kind of only yeah. way that that we could that we could do research um, and that we could kind of finish what we we had set out to do in a way that was that was safe and that was considerate and that respected you know all the the guidelines that were that were in place. So basically, my 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 research and the field site where it was conducted was this 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 little box, this little zoom, room. <laughs> um, and and I found myself in those zoom rooms doing my multiple interviews, feeling a particular type of way. Mm-hmm. And I think we can all identify with that particular type of way feeling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we call it, you know, zoom fatigue. And yeah. I was wondering, is this, is this, you know, so-called quote unquote zoom fatigue? Is this me just being generally tired from doing research or would I feel the same level of, you know, mental exhaustion if I had been doing this in person? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, w- was there something else happening here in in relocating uh the physical field site to a virtual field site Mm -hmm. is is that something that I was feeling so I had been thinking through these after I had finished my research and I mean it's still ongoing and I think um for some people it's this is something that hasn't stopped for them yeah so before we discuss a little bit more about how the experience was actually like I do want to know what was the ethics process like because you did mention you had to go through a clearance as you move uh, to the online sphere. So what were some of the things that you had to be you know, more careful about ethically in, um, as you um, uh, shifted this research online? So when I submitted my ethics uh, clearance to the ethics review board at my university, mm-hmm. um, I think this was quite early in, in the, the, I think the second year the, or the first year of the pandemic, late in the second year of the um, late, sorry, late in the first year of the, uh, of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And basically many of the questions were the same, but when it came to, you know, in-person uh, in-person type of research, there were, a, you know, a few questions and a few areas to think about that, you know, included, you know, how are you going to ensure that your participants aren't going to feel, you know, they aren't going to feel exhausted, that they're going to feel safe and they're going to feel comfortable. In addition to all the other questions about ensuring anonymity, anonymity, et cetera, um, there was also these sort of other questions. And, you know, I did my best to answer them, ensuring that, you know, breaks were provided um, and that, you know, did my best to make sure that the participants in my interviews felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I thought was very interesting in this, in this early process of uh, filling out the ethics review clearance was that it didn't necessarily consider how the interviewer would feel mm-hmm. and how the interviewer might might need to take breaks too and yeah. that the, the interviewer might also feel a particular way and you know it's important to make sure that the interviewee in in this process you know the person who's having a discussion with feels comfortable they, they feel safe that um you know you're taking all those precautions but but you need to take care of yourself too yeah exactly so then tell us now how was the process like so how would a typical interview go um and in your experience what things do you thought were similar if you had conducted these interviews face-to-face and what were some of the things that were specific to the virtual environment? 
you know, I think I think we all know how the, the Zoom call and the MS Teams <laughs> goes to start out. Uh, but basically, it was, you know, starting out, um, you know, sending questions ahead of time, filling mm -hmm. out the paperwork ahead of time, you know, receiving consent, that sort of thing, answering any any questions. Um, so, you know, there's there's that standard type of paperwork that happens. But I think the sort of interesting thing that that happened, which perhaps would have been different if I had you know, been able to do these interviews in person was the sort of conscious curation mm -hmm. of the this field, this virtual field site or, mm -hmm. you know, the little little Zoom box, little MS team box in, in which uh, I myself as the interviewer appear, mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's, it's making sure that my background is, is blank, making mm -hmm. sure that, you know, nobody else is, is in the screen that I'm not, you know, in a high traffic zone, um, that, you know, a, a lot of, it's just basically my face in the screen mm -hmm. and that there's not a lot of other items, um, going on in the background. And I think, you know, if I had been doing this in a boardroom, in a conference room in person, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have gone in there first Yeah, <laughs> to, to arrange it or take stuff yeah. off the walls or, or you know, strategically, um, you know, move a chair here, move a chair there, because it, it's the university's space and mm -hmm. it's not, um, you know, it's not in my home, mm -hmm. which is where I think a lot of us were, were I, basically yeah. all of us who are working from, from home, that's where we were doing our, our research at mm -hmm. home. And, you know, it depends where you had your setup or where you were able to set up in your home. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe it was in your kitchen. Uh, was that your kitchen table? Maybe it's, you know, in your bedroom. Maybe it's in, in, your, in your child's room. Yeah. Maybe it's in the basement. And for me, I, I made a very conscious effort to make sure that my background was just completely neutral. And mm -hmm. all you're looking at is, is my face. So I was thinking through, okay, is... I wouldn't have done this in person. I wouldn't yeah. have been so conscious about this, <laughs> but for some people, they maybe didn't have a choice to, you know, remove their whole mm -hmm. kitchen background yeah. Um, yeah. or, you know, rearrange a, a room in order to, to accommodate the, you know, the gaze um, of, of the screen. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think that's something that I had been thinking about as well was, you know, why did I, why did I do that? Um, and why did some people perhaps not do that? I mean, of course you can blur your background, mm -hmm. um, but not everyone does that. Or, you know, some people select a particular type of background, you know, palm trees blowing in the wind. Um, <laughs> but, but why do we do that? Why do we do that? Especially when conducting research, why do, yeah. how do we choose to kind of curate a, a, a field space or a space to actually do our, our research? How do we curate it? Um, if we do, and why are we doing that? Did you, do you have any hypothesis? Why do we do that? Why do we curate? Why do other people curate? Why did you curate? Like you were mentioning your experience too, right? As an interviewer, do you have any insights, any hypothesis as to why? So I've been thinking a lot about this because yeah. I think it, it definitely does sort of contribute to some of the feelings that uh, we can all identify with this, yeah. you know, kind of Zoom fatigue. Um, and I, I think it's because you know, we, we wanted to, or perhaps I should just speak from my experience, but yeah. I definitely wanted to create the sort of most neutral background that I could. 
as as a, as a site where these interviews were were taking place. I, I can't control where it's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I can't book a conference room and and you know sort of meet you there. Um, it's in my home, and I I you know I definitely worked from home obviously before yeah. the pandemic, but it's I worked in my office primarily, and I like to have that that separation between you know my work and you know yeah. kind of my my home life. So mm-hmm. when it when it came to making to sort of realigning or kind of refocusing or redrawing those divisions. I think that's where some of the exhaustion came from mm-hmm. in the sense that I wanted to make a neutral space mm-hmm. because I wanted the interviewee to feel like this was a, a very neutral space. They could feel comfortable. There's nothing distracting happening in the background um, that there was some sense of perhaps control over a situation that no one can control. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of people who I interviewed who also weren't particularly a fan of having, you know, no, yet another MS Teams or yeah. you know, Zoom call. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's like in that curation of the space, there's an exhaustion that, that, that comes with that. And then mm-hmm. the, I don't want to say performances because it sort of sounds like it's, it's not genuine, but there are performances that happen in these curated spaces right um and you know that's making people feel you know feel comfortable in the space that's you know it could be even as simple as always smiling and looking engaged when you're yeah. having a conversation yeah um and you know sometimes you know if if you've conducted interviews or if some of your listeners have conducted interviews sometimes they can go on for quite a while yeah um and sometimes they need they need to go on for quite a while um, and it's, you know, always kind of looking engaged um, and sort of disregarding what's happening, you know, in, in your space, sort yeah. of at your own expense. Um, so it's like, does, is that the performance aspect, that curation of the space? Is that is that what makes us or is that what made me feel so exhausted after mm-hmm. after these calls? Um, and it wasn't the conversations that were exhausting. It wasn't the people that I interviewed who were exhausting, they, they were lovely and the conversations were, were amazing, but it's the work, the, the work that goes into that, the behind the scenes work yeah. that goes into just creating this, this little box for, for our heads to appear in. <laughs> so then let's go back to something you mentioned earlier when you were talking about your ethics uh, process, ethics review process, you said that there was a lot of a focus on the interviewee's comfort, but not so much on the interviewer. So do you want to talk a little bit about just yourself and how was it for you? You mentioned a little bit, but what are some of the things that maybe made you feel in, uncomfortable if they did or exhausted if they did, but, you know, besides curation? Um, um, yeah. What was the experience like for you as an interviewer? So I, as an interviewer, yeah. I didn't expect when I was filling out these, um, the ethics review uh, board's forms and going through this, all, all of this ethics clearance, I didn't, I didn't anticipate um, my needs. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the, that's the bottom line here. I was anticipating every possible need that my um, that the people who I was going to be talking to, you know, would have, you know, answering all questions, making sure, as I mentioned, you know, they're, they're, they're feeling comfortable, they're, they're feeling, um, you know, that they can talk to me about, you know, their thoughts um, in confidence. So a lot of the focus, I mean, as it should be in, in, in you know, doing research and incorporating these types of methods, it, it should be, you know, placed on ensuring the safety 
of, of the people who you're talking to, especially if they're from vulnerable groups. In my case, they weren't, um, but I think very broadly, it's, it's yeah. important. But, you know, as, as I mentioned, maybe the, the process is a little bit different now, but, you know, at the time when I was filling it out, it, it was, you know, just that focus, especially on the, you know, virtual, um, virtual interaction piece or the, the Zoom calls, MS Teams calls, just ensuring that the, um, that people who you're talking to, they would have those breaks that, right. you know, if, if they wanted to leave, they could leave. And those, I think those are, those are similar to some things that um, would happen if yeah. the interviews were conducted, uh, you know, face-to-face in person, having breaks, being able to, to not answer something if you don't want to, to be able to sort of leave if you have to and that sort of thing. But it becomes a little bit more different when, um, we're not face-to-face we're we're having this this sort of virtually uh mediated interaction um and and also judging when when there needs to be those breaks or when to sort of wrap it up you don't have those virtual cues um and if you're really focused on making a you know a very comfortable uh zoom room to have a chat in are, are you sort of missing those cues, but also are you missing them from yourself? Yeah. You know, yeah. are you sitting for, for a, an extended period of time and, and, you know, just needing to, to reflect, take a break, but you're not doing that because we're so used to just sitting and, and, you know, spending two hours on a zoom call or, you know, a zoom workshop and that sort of thing. So I think at the beginning, there wasn't really that discussion or that reflection um, and I'm, I'm hoping now that we can sort of have those discussions yeah. amongst people who have been doing research um, online, you know, through through these um, these you know um, conferencing technologies. And I think like continuing not only to reflect on our experiences during the pandemic, but then also bringing that forward to, okay, what can we learn from that to make this type of of method actually work for us Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. as researchers and what can we do better what can we do better for the people who we're interviewing or for for us as researchers ourselves so let's answer your own question krista what can we do better (laughs) what have we learned from this experience and what is it that we can do better going i don't have all the answers to that just but from from my personal experience i think I think it's it's okay to to make to make those mistakes. I think it's it's okay to make those mistakes in research generally when you're mm-hmm. when you're starting out, when you're you know trying new methods or you're adapting your methods. It's okay to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having for example, interview go too long and feeling exhausted, and then yeah. but as long as you're having that reflection, I think having a reflection piece after each sort of engagement and saying mm-hmm. okay you know, what went wrong? What was the best practices here? How can I improve it? But that, again, not only for the person who you're interacting with, who you're engaging with, but for yourself too, and and understanding, okay, take a break. You don't need to schedule back-to-back-to-back Zoom calls, Mm -hmm. as I think some of us were very used to, especially, you know, in the the first and second year, it just became a normal, like, all-day Zoom call, you know, mm-hmm. one call and then a workshop and the whole day is gone, basically, and you feel exhausted. So I think th- those are some things that I learned was that mm-hmm. you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. But you're going to make mistakes in, in research anyway. Yeah. Reflect on what happened and and not just, you know, to make the process, process better, but mm-hmm. to make yourself better as a researcher and to understand yourself and, and how you feel. Maybe you can't Maybe you can only do one, you know, Zoom call or, or one interview a day. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can only do one a week. 
and that's yeah. okay. It's yeah. your own pace. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. I wonder if we could apply this to offline research too, sometimes, especially if you're traveling or you're, um, you know, uh, uh, studying something that's heavy for you also personally. So maybe not do multiple interviews the same day or like pace them out. So, you know, you have time to reflect and also to, um, you know, rest yourself as well. I do want to know uh, how did it impact your data quality if it did uh, in your experience? So do you think that the data that you were able to collect uh, by moving your field site online, was it better than what you would have done? Uh, what would have been if you had done these interviews offline or face-to-face? -face? Was it maybe not as good? Or do you think the data itself didn't really change, even though the experience of the conducting interview was different? So I did a lot of reflecting on this topic yeah. when I when I had finished my my interviews, and um, I think you know as well a lot of us were doing sort of reflection on if we changed our methods, did it yeah. make a difference for our original you know research question or original research topic? Did did anything change during that process and bringing it online? And you know upon doing some reflection and and you know some reading about it, I I don't think it did. I don't okay. think it fundamentally changed my research. I think it made it it gave me um, new areas to think about and to mm -hmm. explore that perhaps yeah. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do if this was in person. Um, so I think it, it it gave me new things to think about. Um, I think our research generally does change when we do field work right. because you know yeah. we think we think through different concepts, um, you know, we get, we get new ideas. So there is always that, that change that does happen, you know, some, for some people it's a significant change, but I think in this particular case, I don't think my research changed uh, in, a, in a drastic way, but I think I, I came out of that experience with a different set of questions about, um, about methodology um, that I hadn't, thought about or maybe wouldn't have had the opportunity to think about before. And I think we're in this sort of new space. Um, for those of us who I guess were sort of late to bringing in, uh, you know, this type of, of technology to do our research, because, you know, doing doing interviews or collecting, uh, collecting data, you know, using uh, video mediated technologies, it's not new, people have been doing it for a long time. Um, but it's just I think the majority of us in, yeah. in, in perhaps some of our fields, preferred to do it a, a different way. Mm -hmm. So I think it came up with a different set of interesting methodological questions um, and a whole host of, of different things to explore about myself and about the research process that maybe I wouldn't have had mm -hmm. exactly those particular areas um, sort of brought to light in the research project, uh, in the research process, had I, had I not had that opportunity to do it online. Um, but I think fundamentally, you know, the, the, I didn't modify the questions that I that I asked them. Um, I didn't, you know, change the, the sort of structure that I wanted to impose in the interviews, really. Um, so I think that portion stayed relatively the same. Mm -hmm. Of course, you think through different issues when they come up. You, you know, you're thinking, like I said, about um, the methodologies that you're using, and you're thinking about, you know, how you know, even in the future, how, how you might think through just even interacting with different types of technologies, Yeah. Um, you know, how you would, you know, think about uh, your relationships to people through these different types of, of technologies. And, you know, perhaps in the in-person 
you know, version of my research, perhaps I wouldn't have been able to establish such you know, great relationships or, or meet the different types of people that I did yeah. um, during this research process. You know, for example, I was able to meet with people, you know, across Canada and different time zones. Yeah. And I don't think I would have been able to do that had I been doing my research in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're always kind of concerned with, with travel budgets and scheduling. Yeah. So I, I'm, I don't think that would have happened. Um, so there were some good things that came out of it, but I don't think it fundamentally changed my topic. It just gave me some new perspectives in which to address methodology generally and think through some of those dynamics between you know as as users of technologies um you know how we connect with each other through these technologies um and sort of what that means for continuing to use these technologies Mm -hmm. in this context or in future contexts yeah so let's talk about that because this is a good point right like in this context because it, it first it was like specific to pandemic like in your the experience that you have talked about but if we continue to use these methodologies in the future because of some of the benefits that you have mentioned, what do you think are some things that can be improved now that you've had this experience and now hopefully when we're out of the pandemic but still using these methods, what are some things you think can be improved? I, I think this type of this type of uh, technology is like bringing in video mediated video mediated technologies to do research too to uh, you know, conduct interviews, even just to connect with other researchers, I think is something that we should continue. Um, I think that was a benefit that came out of uh, the pandemic or was, was realized for a lot of people who hadn't been using these types of technologies to sort of continue. Yeah. Um, I think if this is something that, you know, if, if there's a, you know, an academic or a PhD researcher who's thinking, maybe I want to incorporate this this type of technology into my research in order to reach reach people um, who I perhaps won't be able to travel to to talk to or you know because of of university restrictions on on travel or that sort of thing I think some things to sort of keep in mind is 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 number one not everyone is is sort of at on the same page as as you are when you're conducting an interview because just because it's convenient for you it doesn't necessarily mean that it's convenient for them and I think this is one thing that we also learned during the pandemic that we should continue to take yeah. uh, you know in into the future of research is just understanding that you know there's a lot of social um, and personal um, um, impacts that the pandemic had on on people especially yeah. especially women. Um, and continue to have today, there are those, those inequalities that are still in place that, you know, some people, they might have to continue to work from home. They mm-hmm. might have to continue to have, you know, their children, um, you know, other dependents, they're in a co-working space. They yeah. have, you know, responsibilities um, that are different from others at home. And, and those won't go away just because some people think the pandemic is is over. Yeah. So I think one of those best practices there in, in, is to be empathetic to other people um, and you know also considerate of yourself too. If you're one of those people who has you know uh, other responsibilities at home, you have children at home, you have um, you know someone who's sick that you have to take care of. You know those are things that. I think sometimes when we're just dealing with the paperwork of, of doing our research, we forget to consider, or perhaps they're not, those issues aren't, don't have this, um, you know, sense of, of urgency or that sort of thing. But I think coming 
coming through the past, you know, over two years, we can, we can really be empathetic and we can really think about other people and not just assume that just because, you know, some person has their own, you know, study in, in their home that they can work undisturbed for hours and have a perfect internet connection and they're in your time zone that everybody has that and not to expect that Mm -hmm. and not to, not to expect that. Um, and not to, and not to, you know, discount certain people talking to certain people just because they, they, um, you know, can't abide by the rules that you set in your research. Right. So then building on to the same um, um, question that we asked, and you have mentioned it a little bit, but for new researchers, right, students who are just starting out their research, um, and they want to conduct uh, virtual field work, it could be similar to yours, where you're saying uh, you did an interview vulnerable populations, there was policymakers or people in industry, but also students who might want to interview, you know, um, uh, uh, people who are classified under vulnerable populations. What are some ethical guidelines you think they should keep in mind, even before they are filling out their ethics approval and, you know, before going into the field, what are some things people should be mindful of as they're starting, just starting out? So I think if you're incor- in going to incorporate these, these remote methods into, mm-hmm. into, for example, talking to, to um, you know, certain types of people, talking to people from you know, so-called vulnerable groups, I, I think it, it's, it's very important to consider. And I think we have, well, hopefully come to this realization that not everyone has access to particular types of technology or never, not everyone has reliable access to certain types of technologies. So, you know, is the, is, is the group that you, that you want to, um, you know, interview or, or, you know, have a conversation with, do they have the technology to actually to yeah. meet you in that zoom room? Yeah. Um, do they have reliable internet in order to, to have a sustained conversation with you? And, you know, as I mentioned before, not to expect that everybody can just drop, you know, their, their other responsibilities yeah. to talk to you. Um, you know, they can't just drop their childcare. They can't just drop their, their work or, or whatever. Um, and this goes into another thing too, you know, not everyone is, has been working from home. Not everyone has had the privilege to work from home during this time. And also to continue that, okay, to continue to think that, okay, we can, can, you know, I can rely on, on having any time Zoom call or any time MS Teams interview with, with these groups is, is not, as I mentioned, it's not being empathetic to right. other people and, you know, other people's lives and what their priorities are. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't owe you yet yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe we think that everyone has access to reliable internet. Everybody has access to, to, you know, computers with excellent uh, cameras and with, you know, excellent microphones and are available and in your time zone and no responsibilities. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's time to put that aside. And I, I think for, for people who are, you know, young academics, young researchers who want to do this type of research, I think that that's kind of at the starting point that, you know, I didn't, I didn't consider originally in my research and I, you know, reflecting on my own experiences and, and talking with others saw that it was an issue. So it, it is something to, to bring in right at the beginning to, to sort of hold that really um, highly in, in the type of research that you want to do and thinking through and accommodating for that, but not just accommodating for the sake of accommodating, but yeah. as I mentioned, being empathetic and, and yeah. bringing in that sort of sense of care yeah. that, um, you know, you do care and you really are trying to make it easier for them because, you know, as we just said, 
people don't owe you anything. Yeah, they don't. Exactly. <laughs> Specifically when it's your research project, exactly. right? Like it's your work. Like, uh, they're exactly. just participating in it. Exactly. So Kristen, what are your plans after graduation though? Now that you have conducted your research, you are writing your dissertation. Uh, what are your future plans? Scary question for anybody <laughs> doing their, their PhD. Um, but I, I think I want to do a postdoc. I'm, okay. you know, I'm trying to finish up my, my research this year and then hopefully we'll, well, you know, I'm going to knock on wood here, yeah. um, you know, finish it fairly soon and then, and then do a post postdoc and then, and then we'll see from there. Yeah. As we do in again. academia, right? It's like <laughs> it one step after the other. <laughs> exactly. One step after the other, small steps, remain flexible um, and, you know, be true to who you are and what you actually like doing and mm -hmm. what you find interesting. Mm -hmm. So that's what I, that's my plan. Excellent. Thank you so much, Kristen. I imagine a lot of our listeners or students might be interested in learning more about your work or just getting into contact with you. If they have any questions about the methods that you discuss, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Absolutely. And I'm, I'm happy to chat with, with anyone who has these types of questions or they're you know, interested in my research. You can find me on, on Twitter. I will give you my handle as well, um, but it is K Chenke, my name. Um, um, on Twitter, and you can also find me on my departmental webpage with a list of my publications and podcasts that are there. Excellent. I will also post all that information in the show notes. So everybody who is listening can also look at the show notes and get those links and get into contact with you. Thank you very much, Kristen. It was such an awesome experience. I learned a lot because I uh, did a little bit of research uh, online because I had done most of it before uh, the pandemic. But this experience that you're talking about now it's making me think that, okay, in the future, these are the benefits of these types of methods, but these are the issues that come with it. So how can we preempt? So even when we're doing it outside of the pandemic, um, you know, we can get good information, but at the same time, like you were saying, being empathetic to the people that you are interviewing. Any parting words, any last words you want to say to our listeners before we end our discussion? I just want to say thank you so much. I love this podcast. And it's been such a, an honor and it's actually been very fun to have this chat with you. Um, and I look forward to listening to the next ones. Oh, thank you so much. It was a <laughs> pleasure having you on it too. Thank you so much for liking the podcast. And yes, for our listeners, thank you so much. And we will also see you or you will hear from me next month. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.